I V M. You are listening to the Signal Daily, brought to you by Front Page Studios. Looks like Amazon is in trouble for a lax privacy policy. U.S. regulator FTC or the Federal Trade Commission filed two lawsuits against Amazon's Ring doorbell and Alexa. And to avoid a legal mess, Amazon has agreed to settle the lawsuits for a hefty sum of $5.8 million and $25 million respectively. Yup, that's a lot of zeros in those figures. But considering the nature of the violations, some may argue that the settlement sum might not be enough. Now, the privacy violations around Ring and Alexa are hardly new. We've also covered it in one of our previous episodes. So according to the FTC, Ring employees and contractors had access to customers' private video data, which they could view, download, and even pass around. This is a serious violation of the FTC Act that prohibits unfair or deceptive business practices. And it gets worse. The FTC also claimed that between January 2019 and March 2020, over 55,000 US customers had their Ring accounts hacked, with the hackers maintaining access to some accounts for more than a month. And if that's not grave enough, in the second lawsuit, the big tech company has been accused of violating children's privacy. Apparently, the company stored voices and geolocations of minor users through their profiles with Amazon's Alexa voice assistant. And it also prevented parents from exercising their right to delete the kids' data. This was, of course, all in violation of the FTC Act and the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. I mean, all in all, this is just simply a privacy nightmare. But now, after coming under fire, Amazon will have to delete inactive accounts of children and certain voice recordings and geolocation data as well. It also can't use this info to improve its algorithms anymore. As for Ring. but it must disclose to its customers about how much access its employees and contractors have to their data on top of the fines ring must also tighten up its data security program and go through regular assessments for the next two decades but as you know this privacy problem is an exclusive to ring or alexa you could say it's a big tech problem companies like meta and google are all facing criticism for collecting too much data and sometimes misusing it Remember Facebook's Cambridge Analytica scandal? Yep, that's a prime example of how customer data can be exploited unethically. Another example could be Google's Chrome update that left 2.6 billion users vulnerable to surveillance and manipulation. And as we talk about data protection issues, governments are stepping up to protect consumer data. While India is still awaiting a data protection bill to be introduced in the near future, The European Union for instance has already introduced the General Data Protection Regulation to fortify privacy rights for its citizens. However, these measures are proving insufficient to tackle the problem. As technology advances, it's become apparent that laws must keep pace to effectively address the changes. For the next few minutes, you are going to know a little more than you did yesterday from the world of technology, business, policy, and anything that leaves you with food for thought. Hi, I'm Shorbury, and this is the deep dive for 2nd June 2023. While most of the developed world is struggling with shaky economies, India reiterated its position as the fastest-growing major economy. 
India clocked a GDP growth of 7.2% for FY23. The growth was pumped up by the performance in the last quarter, that is January to March. Naturally, the government went to town with the numbers. PM Narendra Modi even tweeted his approval, saying that the data showed the Indian economy's resilience in the face of global challenges. But in this segment, we are about to dive headfirst into the numbers to explain what the halabaloo is all about. And to understand this a little better, we've invited Dinesh Narayanan, the co-founder and the editor of The Signal, and our very own economy expert. He's going to give us his perspective on what these numbers mean. But fair warning, this episode might run a little longer than usual. So hold on tight and let's get right into it. As we said at the beginning, India's growth in FY23 surpassed expectations, clocking in at a solid 7.2%. That's even higher than the earlier estimate of 7%. The fourth quarter growth rate came in at 6.1% compared to the same quarter of the previous year. And you know, most analysts, why even the RBI for that matter, were expecting it to be a little over 5%. But why are we talking about the GDP? Because it's the most commonly used measure of the country's economic health. The number is merely the total value of all final goods and services produced in a country during a specific period. When the GDP goes up, it means that the country overall is producing more and kind of implies that people are generally doing better. It shows that businesses are thriving, more jobs are being created, and people have more money to spend. Quite rosy, right? Well, although that is what GDP growth generally implies, it may not always mean that all the people and all the businesses are doing well at the same time. For one, GDP data is published with a few months lag. That means the economy may have grown further in the meantime or could have slumped. The thing is, there are many nuances that are often overlooked in the heady rush of a high number. The key drivers of growth in the fourth quarter, which also lifted the number for the entire year, were manufacturing, trade, finance and agriculture. The gross value added or the GVA in manufacturing rose by 4.5%. It had shrunk in the previous year, which was the tail end of the pandemic. Heavy spending by the government in building infrastructure and other capital expenditure also helped add 8.9% more new assets in the quarter. That means the government's capital spending alone accounted for more than one-third of the GDP. Overall, the GVA witnessed a solid growth rate of 6.5% in the quarter. Construction took the lead with a remarkable 10.4% increase in output, followed closely by the trade, hotel and transport segment with a growth rate of 9.1%. The financial sector also experienced healthy growth, registering a rate of 7.1%. The farm sector too saw a notable upswing with a 5.5% increase in output, marking its highest growth in three years. Now, the economy may have performed well in one quarter, but it's doubtful whether the momentum is sustained. Even in that quarter, exports and imports suffered. Eight core infrastructure sectors, including cement and coal, slowed in April, which is the first month of the fiscal year 2023-24. to Now, one day before the GDP numbers were out, Morgan Stanley hogged the limelight with a report describing how India had transformed in the past decade. In a previous report, it had said that this decade belongs to India. But some analysts believe that the numbers are overly optimistic. And to shed more light on this, let's turn to Dinesh Narayanan for his expert insights. Well, uh, Morgan Stanley has been bullish on India for a while. Some time ago, it had uh, produced a report which was called um, India's Decade. 
basically what the report was saying was that the next decade belongs to India because of uh, certain things which it has done like the digital payments infrastructure which it has put in place, the ONDC, the open credit network, all of those things were elements which Morgan Stanley had pointed out as one of the key reasons why India was poised to sort of leapfrog. Indian economy was poised to grow exponentially. But another key point which that report had made was that India had shifted from redistribution policies to more profit-oriented policies. What it means is that earlier India used to focus more on a rights-based approach to, um, let's say, rights for right for food, um, right for education. These were all welfare-oriented measures, but from there it was moving more towards a market-oriented, profit-based model. Its latest report talks about the transformational changes which India has done over the past decade or so, um, including some things like supply-side policy reforms and digitalizing social transfers, uh, bankruptcy code, flexible inflation targeting. It has listed uh, 10 such uh, transformational reforms which India has undertaken, which sets it on a path of high economic growth over the next 10 years or so. That report also came a day before the government published its latest GDP numbers, which came in at 6.1% uh, for the last quarter of the fiscal year 2022-23, which obviously got everyone by surprise because the consensus was somewhere between 5 and 5.5% and it came in at 6.1%. But keen observers have pointed out that even now, India's growth is pretty much almost catching up to pre-COVID levels of 2019-20. Whether it is the automobile sector, whether it is cell phone sales, whether it is the number of people flying aeroplanes, whether it is FDI, the greatest, rather the biggest problem which India faces today is job creation. And that is one area which we have not been able to make enough progress and which is uh, a, a key to uh, private spending and economic growth. Even in the fourth quarter economic growth, um, uh, more than a third of it was contributed by government capital expenditure. What we really want is more income in the hands of people, more money in the pockets of how um, households, and uh, they're spending more uh, on goods, uh, on automobiles, on consumer durables, on food, on travel, and which boosts economic activity all around and creates even more jobs. It has a multiplier effect and creates more jobs. And the virtuous uh, cycle takes off. That is yet to happen. Even now, India's growth is, the momentum is still up and down, which is not something which can be called a sustained growth. It's it's basically uh, government spending uh, which is sustaining it. But obviously that cannot go on and we'll have to find ways to put more people in jobs and uh, create more livelihoods, which would translate to uh, incomes and uh, consumption. And before we sign up for the week, here is our third segment. One last thing. 
where we bring to you an offbeat story that you won't find in the headlines. Did you know that Queen's iconic song Bohemian Rhapsody almost had a different title? It turns out that Freddie Mercury, the lead vocalist, initially toyed with the idea of calling it Mongolian Rhapsody. This tiny but big detail got out as the song's early draft is being auctioned by Sotheby's in September, which is part of a grand collection of Mercury's belongings. The collection includes not just the 15 pages of drafts, but also 1,500 other items like his stage costumes, furniture and other pieces from Mercury's London home. And this draft alone is said to be worth $1.5 million as per the New York Times. Not just that, the Bohemian Rhapsody early draft, which has never been disclosed to the public, is now available for public view at Sotheby's New York exhibition till June 8th. So if you happen to be in New York, please go check it out. But imagine if Mercury had actually titled the song Mongolian Rhapsody. Would it still be a hit? Absolutely. If you like listening to The Signal Daily, please show some support. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd also love to hear what you have to say about this podcast. So feel free to shoot us an email at hello at thesignal.co. The Signal Daily is produced in association with IVM. This episode was written, researched and produced by Aditi and Manaswini. Edited by Dinesh Narayanan and me. Mastered and mixed by Manas and Nirvan. You can catch this podcast every morning on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are thesignal.co on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.